Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to episode 216, Nobody's Watching Me. This week we're discussing season 4, episode 15 of Battlestar Galactica, The Oath, and season 7, episode 12 of Buffy, Potential. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to the podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right. Um, The Oath. Uh, Mm. Very exciting episode. Sure is. Uh, It's a good one. um, Yeah, it is. And and rather complex, too. So um, we'll get into that. But I think you... You said you had a couple production notes. Um, uh, yeah, um, I feel like I should start mentioning now that we're getting into the uh, the end run here um, when writers are doing their last episodes, especially the ones who mm. pretty much at this point, um, kind of looking ahead, the writers' room is all made up of people who have been writing for the show for a long time, so it's people who we've seen like it's there's no new ones in here from this point it's like the veterans um so um you know mark for of uh final cut and collaborators and a bunch of other good ones some of our favorites uh this is his uh swan song so um it's kind of that time where people are taking their last little bow here uh sure. so I wanted to kind of mention that um and then the other thing which didn't, you know, necessarily, this doesn't have to lead us into the discussion. We can talk about it more or not or whatever. Um, Just in terms of the writing and production, interesting little uh, conceit here of the timestamps that I kind of, you know, was very aware of throughout the episode that give a progression to the story and the mutiny where, um, you know, 06, 20 hours, Adama's quarters. Like, it's almost like you're reading it in, like, history book or something where it's like Mm. telling you okay or or maybe a captain's log or whatever it is that's like you're reading an account afterwards of this is exactly what happened and when and where and it details like the progress of you know the the plan and the mutiny as it's unfolding so that gives it a kind of interesting little flavor yeah and i'll be honest i didn't like i mean now that you mention it, like, I do remember seeing them, but I totally paid no attention to those kind of things um, in the actual episode. So, <laughs> um, Fair enough. No, and I think it's subtle enough that it's pretty unobtrusive. I don't think you're um, too distracted by it. At least yeah. I'm not as I'm watching it. It's just enough to give you a sense of foreboding without becoming too annoying or heavy handed, I think. Mm. And actually, I can't remember whether it continues into the next episode or not. So we'll have to well, see. Yeah, we'll have to watch. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to kind of. Man, had, had I realized that, we could have like maybe use that as a uh use the timestamps as our outline <laughs> yeah right um but we'll just have to make do uh, they probably had to in the writer's room just to have a sense of like where all the moving parts are because this the plot is so complicated it is and i do want to broadly follow the plot this time rather than 
specific characters because I feel like that that lends more to discussion because we see like several characters kind of going around and interacting with different people here mm-hmm. and there. Um, so in that vein, uh, let's start in Adama's quarters, um, where we find not only Adama but Roslyn as well. Right where <laughs> right where we left them both. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, not right where because they're awake now and having breakfast and coffee yeah. and all of that. But uh, yeah, I mean mm, algae algae coffee, nothing like a cup of right brewed algae to start the day. Fresh cup of um. algae. <laughs> uh in the morning um um right and yeah and ty's surprised or just like it's the it's the openness the casualness of it i guess that kind of throws him off that he's not expecting them to just be sort of you know so brazen with their you know the morning after and everything yeah um, sorry, I got distracted because I was trying to think of like what was that like, um, Folger, the Folgers commercial, right? Like the best part of waking up is algae in your cup. Um, I feel like that would that would have worked well. Um, sorry, I was totally. I heard what you said. Um, yeah. yeah, no, there, and and this is like kind of as we talked about last week. Like this is Adama and Roslyn when they've stopped caring, right? Like. Like, they've now both sort of committed to this idea. I mean, maybe Adama a little less than Rosalind, right? But, mm-hmm. like, yeah, you get, like, Rosalind saying, like, I'm not I'm not getting involved. I'm not, you know, gonna, right. you know, join your, you know, whatever. And then taking it one step further and even, like, commenting on Adama being sort of passive aggressive like good (laughs) like don't get involved i'll handle it myself Mm -hmm. um you know this passive aggressive pretense that you're okay if i don't get involved um uh, no i guess that's the opposite he's i guess she's implying that like pretense that you're okay if i don't get involved actually i think i might have been misreading that when she said that because like she's sort of implying that he thinks she should get involved and that right. he's okay. Yeah, right. Like he's manipulating, using reverse psychology to get hurt. Like, yeah. oh, good. You know, I don't care if you don't get involved. And, and that's a ploy to get her right. back in, to pretend like right. he doesn't Thank care. Pull me back in. Yeah. Just um, when I think I'm out. Yeah. And that part of the, you know, the, the tragedy is very thick in this episode of like, people the, the the decisions that are dooming people that maybe were well-intentioned or made for sympathetic reasons that are nevertheless like disastrous in their consequences and stuff and I feel like it's it's so sad that I mean we talked in the last episode about Adama and Rosalind having no idea that all this stuff is brewing right under their noses and here you kind of see how close Roslyn is to getting over that period of depression of like, you kind of get the sense of leave her alone for another couple of days and she would on her own st- 
start to, she's already starting to get through the other side of that and get a little bit more energized into making this alliance work and getting back into doing her job and taking care of the fleet. But the tragedy is that it's already like too late. Like sure. all this stuff has gone in motion while she's been taking that time and she doesn't have the time anymore to kind of come around on her own steam and, and give the fleet the consolation that it needs and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, which kind of goes along, I mean, we'll get to Zarek later, but kind of goes along with what he says about building on the on the cumulative moments, right? Like of, it's not, sure. it's not that there's like any one big thing. And I mean, if you take it to, to apply that to like Rosalind sort of uh, abstaining from, you know, or uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, like when, when someone steps down or whatever, like, you know, her, her sort of leaving, leaving off of her duties, uh, so to speak, like that there are all these things that are kind of going unchecked and unattended and maybe just in general, like as part of the, like rundown of the fleet, like things are getting more mixed, right? You're, you're getting more and more civilians on Galactica and you're getting more and more military involvement without like, so that's like one of the things that sets off um, Ty in the CIC, right? Like that there's, you know, stuff going on like on the Tilium ship that like he doesn't want to bother getting involved mm-hmm. with, right? Like that um, there's like all these little things, you know, one kind of after another after another that are happening and maybe not they're not cumulative in the sense of like what Zarek's talking about as far as like controlling the outcome but they all contribute you know to Mm -hmm. the overall dissension and dissatisfaction of the fleet um and those are all happening because like Roslyn is kind of shirking her duties and Adama's maybe not paying as much of attention as he should be. Right. Um, and that's right. And, and in their hesitation, as Zarek says, the fleet is lost to them. Like it's that moment of they, they hesitated too long about what are we going to do next? And that was, it was too much. Like, you know, whatever the period of time was, there was a window and they kind of lost control of things. So it does kind of, prove Zarek right in that way. Yeah. Um well let's talk about Zarek because like that's kind of the next thing, right? Is him he you know, we we saw him in the brig and like Adama had gotten what he wanted and found the Tilium ship and they you know brought them back. And then he's sort of letting Zarek cool its heels in the brig for a while. And now, um, like we saw Gaeta in there sort of making this agreement with him in the last episode. And now this episode, Gaeta's rescuing him, breaking him mm-hmm. out of the brig uh, with a group of apparently like handpicked Marines, it seems like. Uh, mm-hmm. get You know, getting fed information about where they can go and like 
stuff that's, you know, been sort of put in motion. And I guess we don't, I don't have a sense. I mean, I guess I was, because of what we said, like where it kind of picks up in Adama's quarters that I guess I was sort of assuming it was like, um, like the next day, but we don't actually, we don't actually know. And I wonder if like, if there, there might, have been a little bit more time here because I feel like that would have been really quick yeah for like Gata to kind of like spread his, like we do get you know after his confrontation with Starbuck right we do get like his okay let's talk but I feel like that's like that's like the first of a number of right. conversations right right like, that's like the testing the waters phase like and then right there's gotta be something like he needs time to because you kind of realize, which we'll talk in more detail about, the level to which this is all planned yeah. out ahead of time. Um, so, like... It's not just, like, a, a... It's not the Demetrius mutiny, where it's, like, a spontaneous coup where we just refuse to follow orders. It's, like, this is, you know, he's planned this yeah. thing to the minute, pretty much. Yeah, so, like, maybe... Yeah, maybe that assumption was wrong then, that... You know, his conversation with Zarek was the start of something, but maybe it took several days or a week or whatever to mm-hmm. plan out the movements, get maybe schedules organized so that they can have, you know, his friends like guarding Zarek at a certain time and, mm-hmm. um, you know, giving... Like, even, like, the things, like, where, you know, Starbucks sees civilians arming themselves, like, getting them the access codes and, you know, whatever they would need to do that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, um, I guess maybe maybe there is a bit more of a time frame thing going on there. But, um, so they get Zarek out, and they kind of bring him down to the hangar deck. And, yeah, you get, like... Like, even racetrack is involved. And, you know, mm-hmm. getting the hangar deck cleared um, of everyone except Laird, who we haven't, literally have not seen in, like, a season and a half, like, I feel like. Sure. Um, and Right. I guess, like, was the Pegasus introduction, like, the last time we really saw him? I think well, so. Well, I mean, he was in the Razor, but that was, like, a flashback. Um. But yeah, like right, he's he's been kind of in the background more so, but yeah. Yeah, I don't I don't remember seeing him anyway. Like cuz like Tyrrell took over again when the, you know they came back and then like right. since he and then like he kind of flipped out and got demoted and yeah. Learned, we learned he, you know, everyone learned he was a Cylon and like Right. So I guess like and then we saw Figursky right. as, like, seemingly, like, he was the one who took over for right. Gata. But then it's like, right. here's... I wonder if they just, like, didn't want to kill Figursky. Here, here, here's Laird again. And, like, yeah. we... And, and then there's, like, Poor the off, offhand comment of, like, he's been up Adama's butt since, you know, Pegasus. And it's like, really? Because we haven't seen him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> where where exactly has he been? Um, yeah. Well, I guess we know now. Uh, but they, uh, 
Yeah, so <laughs> like why we haven't seen anyway, it. like yeah, um, like he, he comes out and is like kind of petulant and and like maybe yeah, like you said, like they didn't want to fill, uh kill Figurski or whatever. But like this kind of fits more with Laird's like he's not military, he's not necessarily listening to like the reasons and like maybe he's a little bit more of a stickler for the rules even despite not being military like like military people you know might like kind of understand the situation without like being told exactly what's going on whereas he's like right sure you know a little more like well wait a minute i don't i don't see what's happening here and you know so maybe there's and yeah, maybe Figur maybe actually more so than not wanting to kill him, maybe Figurski's too much of a pushover. Like because mm. we already right. saw like how incompetent he was at handling the people calling in sick. So maybe like right. it sure. would be more out of character to have him try right. to stand up to, you know, other right. people. Well and we, we do know that Laird was a, was chief of deck before, so you would you know, it's kind of surprising now that we saw Fregersky more so because you would it makes sense that Laird is next in line after right. after Tyrrell to be like he's a higher ranking. It's it's kind of like when, more experienced when, guy than Fregersky is. When but. they needed someone to be like incompetent, they brought in Fregersky, and when they need someone to be like right over uh, overbearing yeah. or like you know right having his nose stuck in too many places that they bring in Laird. <laughs> right. Um, right. Anyway. Right. And you're right about that. I mean, I definitely, I, I think I was thinking maybe it is a mix. I was thinking of him as like that stickler for the rules of like, he's the competent chief of the deck who knows his job and isn't going to just take anybody's word for it and go around the protocol and everything. But on the other hand, like you're right. The fact that like, you know, his superior officer tells him like you have authorization i'm giving you authorization to to go around the protocol and the fact that he doesn't listen to it like maybe that does show like more of that a, a newer outsider perspective to yeah how things are done there you know um yeah yeah and the fact that he sort of won't be you know won't just do what he's told by his superiors without question. Right. Um. And yeah, I feel kind of terrible for Laird. Like, yeah, like he has a really tragic origin story and then he dies in a really kind of pointless, tragic way. You know, like mm -hmm. it's pretty much just like all bad news for this guy. Yeah. Uh, right, yeah, because, like, and Gaeta is, like, obviously trying not to, like, he's trying to, like, just talk him down or whatever, and it's Zarek who kills him. Right. So, kind of, like, first blood of the revolution, or mutiny, or whatever you call it, is at Zarek's hand. Um, not a shocking Th no. thing really no not at all um, um but yeah just i mean notable certainly and yeah um well and i wonder too like i'm sure he thought it was necessary but also like 
the way that he uses it to lecture Gaeta, I wonder to what extent this is him seeing an opening to like make a point and start lecturing. Like, you know, cause like we can say like, oh, it's obvious that Zarek was gonna kill some people in this mutiny, but like, I don't know that Gaeta thought that Zarek was gonna do that. And that's part of the, yeah. the naivete. And I feel like Zarek even is kind of wanting to like say to him like, hey, like, do you really know what this is about? And are you really gonna be able to go through with it? Yeah. And here I'm putting it in your face so that like, if you're gonna back out, it's gonna be now because like, we don't have time to be idealistic about this. Well, and it, it sets up the end of Gaeta giving the order to Narcho to kill, right. you know, to shoot down the raptor with, um, I guess he doesn't necessarily know who exactly is in it, but, you know, presumably Adama and Roslyn. And right. Is he else. willing to take lives in pursuit of his goal? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so, like, I mean, we're jumping around a bit. Um, but, like, that's, like, later when Zarek calls him, like, just before Roslyn goes on the wireless, you know, Zarek's like, oh, you imprisoned Adama. <laughs> like, Mm -hmm. very much implying that, like, he thought he was going to kill Adama. Um, right. You know, rather than, you know, rather than merely capturing him. Um, mm -hmm. Which, you know, I mean, there is a sense here of, like, like, even when, you know, he calls in the sergeant at arms, right, and and captures the CIC, and then, like, people start shooting, and he's like, whoa, whoa, wait, like, stop, like, like that was a mm -hmm. surprise to him. Like he wasn't mm -hmm. expecting that and didn't seem to want it. Like like there's very okay. much you know, as a rules person maybe or whatever, which I think Gaeta largely is, he's mm -hmm. trying to like like he's doing mutiny by the book again, right? Like right. like this is like I think we've talked before in episodes about how like there's actually a protocol to mutiny and relieving someone right. of duty and you know, doing it in a way where it's not like it's not about the loss of life, but rather about, right. you know, um, the sort of proper. Well, was it? It was. It was the episode where Gata gets shot, isn't it? Where his like when right it when was they the, mutiny the when yeah. they mutiny against Starbuck and and like yeah, like the whole thing right. is designed, you know, so that it's not a loss of life. It's like a controlled like handing over a power to you know when when sort of the commander or, or the ship captain or whatever sort of there's a loss of confidence or competence in in mm -hmm. you know what they're doing um right and he kind of echoes Hilo with the like i'm removing you from command of the right. ship like here's the words you're supposed to say and you know right and yeah and i think and i think as a, not just as a, like a stickler for the rules which he definitely is but also like i think we've seen enough of gata's backstory to know like the whole point of this is to prevent loss of life and so like right it's important you know to to adhere to that as much as possible um whereas like zarek that might be his larger goal but also he's less afraid to break eggs while he's making his omelet. Like casualties during the revolution are the price that you pay to win. 
Whereas I think Gaeta has some illusion or notion that he can do it fairly bloodlessly, or at least as much as possible. Sure. Well, and I think this goes to the cross purposes that Zarek and Gaeta are at. Like Zarek, for Zarek, it's a power grab. For Gaeta, mm -hmm. it's not. It's a last straw, right? It's, right. I, you know, I gave you every chance to do things the right way and you didn't. And I think mm -hmm. whatever Gaeta's story is, like the recurring theme is, you know, he he does keep trying to do things for the right reasons. It just, they always seem to be the wrong things, like, that yeah. he does. Yeah. Like, like yeah. I think, uh, I think Gaeta's a very good, you know, example of what, where the path that you pave with good intention leads, right? Like, mm. you know, yeah. he, he continually, I think, has the the best of hearts behind what he does. It's just mm -hmm. he seems to always choose sort of the worst way to go about doing right. it. Um, right, right, right. That's what makes it such a juicy character. It's that, like, con that conflict of, you know. Yeah. Yeah, the the... the tension between his intention and the result um so and like the fact that he's always at odds with whatever the popular thing is so when it's sure. cool to be in the resistance he's collaborating and working from the inside when cylons are good then right he's against and the making alliance. alliances and it's like yeah. whatever the popular like mood is he's always the one that's like wait a minute no like we should but really be doing this it's not like um i don't think it's complete naivete on his part though either like no like it's no. backed up with experience it's like well last absolute like valid reasons last, last time yeah, we yeah. tried trusting the cylons it went to crap and right. and so i'm not going right, to do that right. and and in fact we need to like prevent you know everyone from doing it um Right. Well, and I think at even in New Caprica, he was, you know, like not doing the popular thing by collaborating. But I think you could argue that he did more good that way. Like, you know, that he was able to achieve more by feigning, you know, some sort of cooperation and got information from the inside. And so I don't think it's necessarily that, like, he does the wrong thing. I think he's unlucky enough to be doing what he thinks is the right thing while everyone else thinks something else is the right thing, you know? <laughs> sure. Like, there's always like a swimming against the stream kind of aspect to it. Yeah. Which relates to the name, you know, it's an ironic, he's Felix. Felix. He's lucky. You I was know? trying to, I'm like, data. how does that? Oh, right. Felix. Right. Yeah. No, I think that's like, it, it's an ironic kind of, sure. You know, title that way. Right. So, yeah. But, like, Zarek knows this, right? So, like, I think even though I don't think he kills Laird just completely randomly, I do think he uses it as a way to make a point. And maybe, I don't know, maybe hits him a little harder than he might have, like, trying to kind of force Gaeta to see what, like, the, this mutiny is really going to be about. Right. Well, because that's the thing, right? Like, there were enough of them there that they could have captured Laird. Right. 
and like gagged him and something. But right. no, like this is like you took a wrench and hit him pretty hard over the head with it. Like, right. I mean, hard enough to kill him. Uh, you know, so it's not like like if there were if you were just looking to incapacitate him, there were ways to do that given the number of Marines and mm-hmm. you know personnel that were there. Um. So yeah. Uh. All right. So long story short, though, uh, Zarek gets in the Raptor and gets taken to Colonial One and escapes mm-hmm. from the Lapidoth. Um. Which, so then you know, so Gata, you know, ha- having accomplished this, Gata manages to get back to the CIC and like sits himself down in in a place where he can sort of control the flow of information throughout the ship. And this is like this is the more subtle but I think really interesting aspect of his character cuz he's not primarily the communications officer, although he's mm-hmm. filled in from time to time. Um mm-hmm. and like it's interesting to me that like Hoshi isn't in on the the stuff right given what we've seen with their relationship and whatnot right right um well i think it's yeah i mean and and setting aside the retconny aspect you know um just taking it as a as a finished story you know i think that's the implication at the end of the of the webisodes is that he breaks up with him to protect him, right? Like he, whether or not he knows exactly what he's going to do, he knows that he's doing dangerous things. And like, which implies the, the, the level to which he's aware that it's dangerous and probably is going to fail and not going to end well for him, mm. you know? So I think, what would Hoshi have gone in with it? I don't know. I don't think we really know Hoshi well enough to say, like, if he would have supported and joined in the mutiny. But I, the way I read it is that Gaeta deliberately doesn't allow that. He kind of says, you have a nice life. And that's it. And I'm going to go do some stuff and, like, not tell you what it is. So right, yeah. Um. So yeah. So like, when stuff starts happening, um, and and you get, I mean, there's the buildup of like, first it's like, okay, there's like a fire somewhere in the ship, and we need to like evacuate a section, and then there you know are problems with you know communications arrays and stuff like that and then it you know kind of grows from there to like hoshi noticing oh there's a blip on the screen oh you know i'll take care of it oh must be just a dreadus ghost and then like gives ty information like just enough to get ty to like order a complete like systems check which presumably puts mm-hmm. like dreadus down for a bit like right you don't right. do a 
to some check like i mean maybe it's still running or whatever but like it's at least unreliable at best mm. until like the system check is done and um right. and you get the sense that like it's not something that happens like in the snap of a finger like there's some time that needs to pass you know while right. this check is going on and that kind of thing so just kind of like all these little things start happening and sort of trying to manipulate and watch over things, you know, while things get in place. So you get the sense of like, oh, you know, this fire or reported fire is happening in a deck where like Narcho is in charge for some reason. And, you know, it allows people to start going in to like the munitions lockers and getting weapons when they normally wouldn't have access to that. Um, and, right. that, and, and and anybody who's not involved in the plan evacuates because there's a fire right. alarm. So it clears that whole part of the ship Un of all the... Like, Unless, of course, you happen to have a maverick like Starbuck, uh, you know, like who just happens to be... That thorn in Gata's side yeah. who just screws everything and, up. Um, and, well, yeah. and, and not only that, but, like, I mean, of course she's poking around, but also, like, I mean... The nar you, you know, you get Narcho, who, like, so, like, Mutiny's getting into full swing here, and, like, the gloves are off as far as, like, he's basically accusing Starbuck of being a Cylon, right? Um, mm -hmm. Or something other than human, anyway. And, of course, like, I mean, I don't, I don't remember if they have a particularly bad relationship. I mean, not that Starbuck has a great relationship with anyone. But like, sure. I don't like I don't right. remember them particularly being at odds before. Um, right. At least right. it never came up in our discussions. If it did, if they did, but like, like it seems enough to like put her off kind of and be like, wait, what's good? Mm -hmm. Like, there's something more than what mm -hmm. this appears to be. Um, and then she mm -hmm. sees like civilians in the munitions lockers and stuff, and right. Um, right you know, that clearly isn't a good thing. And so she tries to contact the Admiral. But of course, there's Gaeta on the other end to like, <laughs> oh, well, he's busy. I'll let him know you called. Like, yeah. which is itself kind of a, and, and he's like, yeah. but he's, it's plausible, right? Oh, well, there's fires going on and we need to like address this. And she's kind of like, what? And he hangs yeah. up on her. But yeah, she realizes pretty quickly, like, okay, Maybe she doesn't necessarily recognize, like, Gaeta's behind something, but, mm. like, recognizes that there's something going on with, like, communication and things on right, the ship. Right. Um, right, which, yeah, and, um, like, a couple things there. I, I really enjoy that moment when he hangs up on her. I feel like there's some, there's a little bit of pleasure in that. Oh, sure. You know, like, you know, just that moment of, like, uh, you know, Lee, he can kind of sweet talk a little bit more, whereas, like, Starbuck, he, it's more she just gets a dial tone. Um, yeah. And, yeah, and just the way that, like, okay, so, like, you're mostly talking about, like, manipulating all the systems of things, of, like, when the fire alarm goes off, when the Dreadus goes down, like, making sure everything happens and orchestrated and all this stuff, but then the way that that involves, um, like you are saying about Ty, knowing the people well enough to predict what their reaction is going to be. Mm -hmm. So it's like, not only does he know when the alarms and the different systems need to go down, 
but he knows exactly what Ty and, and Adama's orders are going to be, you know? And it's kind of like that thing of like, order a scan on Dredus. Yep, I got it. Like, five sets ahead of you. Like, the, he knows yeah. what that, and you kind of, this relates to the title that we sort of chose is the way in which it's invisible because people don't realize how much control he has over this whole ship. Right. And the way he like, basically has been running it the whole time and yeah if he were to choose to sabotage it that's a pretty easy thing yeah but it's not something that is you know noticeable and so people don't really ever give it a second thought he's just taking care of all the crap like he normally does yeah um and the other interesting thing about that too is like i mean because it's like him and ty have not exactly been friendly in recent episodes either. I mean, mm-hmm. there have been a number of episodes where they haven't been friendly. But, like... Sure. You know, you get, like, previously their confrontation with, like, do you have more to say? And Gata's, right, like, and, like not, not... calling people sir. Not yet. And yeah, and, like, yeah. and those types of things. But, like, this is Gata playing the good soldier, right? And mm-hmm. yes, sir, no, sir. Oh, you know here's what I think is happening, sir. And should we do this? And, and like knowing that Ty, Ty only picks up on things when it's like, when they're out of the ordinary and Mm -hmm. off protocol, right? Like, but when like, you're getting like the polite sirs and, you know, doing the, you know, doing things in sort of the way that he expects them to be done. It, it just, like doesn't even phase him just kind of okay you know yes like you're supposed to call me sir and do what i say and as long as gate is doing that or at least appears to be doing that there's no problem like it's not even going to register on ty's Mm -hmm. list of you know insurrection radar or whatever you want to call it like right 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 because i guess where ty's concerned if you have a problem you just come out and say it you're never subtle about anything you know like i don't think subtlety is one of ty's sure i don't was gonna say virtue like characteristics like i just don't think he operates on that level so the idea that like yeah if if he picked up on gata's insubordination but it's not it doesn't raise a red flag that like oh we're suddenly like fine again Mm -hmm. Um, and Adama might have picked up on it, but he's just so. There's too much other stuff going in his on. Own, he's just so oblivious to everything in this phase that, like, you know, maybe he's starting to get back into the swing of things, but he's not there yet to really like pick up on the clues. Sure. Um, yeah, there's that aspect too. I was just thinking, like, there's also just like too much going on to even like well, sure, really right, notice. Right. You know anything in particular um well and that's true and that's part of the the plan is to have so many just distractions that right. people aren't don't have time to think about what's going on um so yeah so there's like like he's he's redirecting you know attention away from like the raptor that's leaving with Zarek on it and you know not passing messages through from Starbuck and Lee and, you know, kind of just watching as things sort of escalate, you know, from 
one thing to the next, um, which again goes back to Zarek's comments about hanging on the cumulative moments and mm. and how each thing builds on the next, um, which is what you know brings Lee. Like you know, so Zarek goes back to colonial one, and and Lee's sort of presiding over the quorum, but then Zarek walks in unexpectedly, of course. Um, they and there's some words between them, but really, like it results in Lee going back to the Galactica to find out from his father, like what the heck is going on, um, which leads leads to him getting captured, and mm-hmm. you know, uh, or at least an attempt at capture. But then there's Starbuck coming in, guns blazing, <laughs> basically mm-hmm. um, shoots two people. And like yeah. rescues Lee, uh, yeah, with like the threat of like, follow me, <laughs> like right, I dare you, right, <laughs> um, right, and like her. So okay, so well, there's there's a lot of stuff going on there, but like the whole like. She's in her element when, like, chaos is going on around you. Like, you know, kisses Lee and is like, you know, live in the now. (laughs) And, like, you know, just this whole, like, finally something, like, where I don't have to just sit around and be surly all the time. Right. Um, Right. Which, you know, is a theme in this episode of, like, I I think of um, what you know, Corey talks about with the, the way the goblins serve as a catastrophe in The Hobbit, that, like, it's this the threat of this other army that gets the other armies to, like, fight together rather sure. than fight each other. There's an element here of, like, Starbuck and Rosalind in particular, and maybe, like, Adama and Ty, too, coming out of their funk in response to this sudden threat that, like... Which, again, is part of the tragedy. Like, if they hadn't been so in the funk in the first place, things probably wouldn't have got this bad. Right. But it takes this much of a, a like, a, all this chaos breaking out for them to suddenly finally realize, like, oh, we do want to live. Oh, we do want to help the fleet survive. Sure. Oh, we do want to be in charge. Like, all these things that they didn't, they forgot that they wanted suddenly are, like, priorities again well and i i would throw baltar and tyrell into that too in a way because like yeah maybe more baltar than tyrell because like tyrell at least has seems to have been trying to be helpful with like installing the new jump drives and stuff it's like as a cylon he now has purpose again like but Mm. he's also kind of like in baltar's camp a little bit so Mm -hmm. um Baltar has also been sort of feeling funky as well. Um, not like in a good way, but uh, so yeah, I would just kind of throw him in with with Adama yeah. and Roslyn yeah. and um, whoever else there. Um, did you say Baltar? Did I like totally just say the same thing you said? No, we were talking about Starbucks. Right, right. Um, like I, I, so no. Like I realized as I was saying, like I think I don't think that was in the list of like people you had mentioned, but like <laughs> no, um, no. But I, I think that works. Yeah. So yeah. Anyway, um, 
yeah, you get like Lee and Starbuck and kind of like, hooray, like, yeah. let's have some chaos and, you know, go out. And, and so, you know, they, you know, well, actually, are just. You know what? Be- before we go on, though, can I say one quick thing, too? Mm-hmm. Just on, on the subject of Lee almost getting like shot in the head. Um, sure. Because I don't know that we need to go through each of these in super detail, but like, that reminds me of like the range of motivations in of the mutineers is kind of interesting that like, mm. you know, we kind of have like Gaeta's idealism over here and Zarek's, you know, kind of bloody revolution over there. But then like you kind of mentioned that like, okay, we get racetrack or we get Celix, like we get, you know, people that we know and like, like as, you know, not, villains you know Mm -hmm. like sympathetic people with you know good motivations i think but then you also get like connor who is sympathetic but also is kind of still so wrapped up in his grief and his bitterness that he's you know threatening lee with a gun to his head um and then you get the stupid pegasus jerks who are again like using this as an opportunity for violence against Hilo and Athena and everything. So like for all the kind of high-minded idealism, you also have like some serious brutality among the mutineers, you know? Um, Well, so like, so the way you're presented with like a range of people who are doing this for all different kinds of reasons, some of them less good than others. Right. So, I mean, some of that, so like, like we were getting to like Sam and like Celix, right? So mm-hmm. you get like Sam just kind of like doing the whole like I'm alone, I'm throwing my pyramid ball at the hole, and you know, not really sad getting... Cylon, yeah, yeah. Pain, um, pyramid, yeah, right? Like uh, Cylon pain here, yeah, like yeah. uh, and like Celix coming in and sort of like initially, you're kind of like. She's talking about, like, oh, hey, remember how, like, a few months ago we were, like, hanging out and thought something was going to happen? And then, like, it, then there's, like, the turn of, like, yeah, but you're a Cylon. And, like, there's guys come in behind her and, like, beat the crap out of him and then, like, haul him off to the brig. Um, and then... Uh, you know, you you get Hilo and Sharon who are just in their quarters, and yeah, like you said, like it's like, hey, remember my friend Thorn? You, you know, got him killed and whatever. And it's like, well, you know, he was raping people and like torturing them, so maybe that wasn't so terrible <laughs> that he died. And but yeah, like like you said, like I mean, very very wide range of you know sort of so it's like um like maybe like people who voted for trump like there were you know those who are like sort of yay he'll shake things up and you know he's not a politician and we need that but then there's also like I'm just gonna hold my nose and vote for him because I don't like the other option available and so you know yeah i think definitely there's that sort of wide range here too of like so 
So the Pegasus guys are the deplorables. This is what this is what I'm hearing. I mean, I I didn't I don't want to draw too strict of an analogy, but like anyone who wanted to like flesh that out a little more is welcome to do so. Sure. Um it just occurred to me that that might yeah. be an No, app, I think that's of. right. And I mean, you could probably take that with like sort of any any kind of like political, you know, yeah. uh coalition or whatever you want to call right. it um well and that's right because i mean as much as it's kind of funny um starbucks bloodthirstiness in this to me is a bit disturbing um and i feel like so even on like the quote good side um even like among characters that we like and everything it's not like there's a lack of, you know, violence or brutality or the fact that, like, she's, you know, I mean, all right, she saves Lee, so you can kind of root for her there. But then when they're, like, she's shooting at, like, the Marine who's, like, their prisoner and everything, um, and she's like, they're not your men anymore, they're the enemy, like, mm -hmm. she's lost it a little bit. Um, sure. And so I feel like it's, like, not just to pick on, like, Trump voters, but like any kind of people group, I think, whether it's like the sides of a war or a political movement or whatever it is, you get a range of motivation and and a spectrum of sort of morality within that. Um, sure. Yeah. I mean, right. So you could. And I, I'm not comparing her to the guys who want to rape Athena. Like, I do think there's a difference. But sure. like it's, a it's small not letter. like every, it's not like the hands are all clean on each side is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, the right. So. Right. You can make an argument about like, OK, someone's got a, a gun to Lee's head and like. She's shooting in defense of another there. Right. Like, mm -hmm. like that's a legitimate reason to like kill someone, maybe is that they're actively threatening someone else's life. But it's, yeah. you know, when you're shooting someone in the back who's running away and unarmed, like, that's a completely different scenario. But she does both of those things. So, mm -hmm. you know, definitely, um, I agree. Like, there's a, you know, a grayness to the, to the different situations there that we find her in. Um, and yeah, I mean... Again, a different thing completely to have like someone uncovering your plan and so you kill them with a wrench, you know, mm, by hitting yeah. them in the back of the head that rather than, you know, tying them up and gagging them or something like. Right. Two very different sorts of things going on there. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, Hilo and Sharon, you know, get taken. Sam gets taken. And they're all thrown in the brig with Caprica 6. And there's kind of, I mean, I don't know that we need to spend a lot of time on sort of their conversation, but, um, you know, just kind of reiterating Caprica 6 anyway, like saying like, you know, like it's all about her child, right? Like her, her unborn baby, you know, mm. uh, although she says our children, but like they represent everything the humans hate. Um, with the resurrection gone, the the thought that the Cylon race can survive through natural procreation terrifies them. Like, just seeing everything sort of in, you know, through her eyes. 
when I don't even know that like it ever gets to that like people seem more upset about the lion the alliance the current alliance mm-hmm. rather than like the potential threat of like future Cylon generations like it doesn't even right. seem like it's getting to that point of rational yeah. thought and like extrapolating out like what are the philosophical ramifications of you know Cylon children like it's really right. more just about like base prejudice and hatred like um right, right. or like maybe like dude we don't want the ftls or right. we don't like, like it's it, their concerns are much more short-sighted well than, and, yeah and like even, they're not thinking that far she's overestimating the thought that they're putting into this and, and <laughs> not even the ftl because like i feel like the objection i mean remind right, me of alliance itself. remind me if i'm yeah. wrong but like the objection isn't even installing the ftls but the fact that like cylons need to go in to do the installation like, sure. like, cause Tyrrell almost, like, in that conversation between, like, Tyrrell and Adama and Lee and, well, Ty and Hilo and I guess Gate is in there too, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's like, well, you know, can we do the FTL thing, like, on our own? Like, can you just give us the FTLs and then we install them? And Gate is like, or not Gata, um, Tyrrell's like, I'm doing that again. I'm mixing the two of them. Tyrrell's, Tyrrell's like, well, I barely understand it, and like, I'm a Cylon and know my technical stuff. <laughs> like, right. Right. So, so no, no like yeah. we need to have <laughs> like, a, you yeah. know, uh, eights and whatever, like Leobins coming in and like to do it yeah. for us. And that that seems to me like the objection of like giving Cylons access to like those critical drive systems and stuff. Sure. More sure. so than the actual technology. Um, sure. But just to right. say that, like, yeah, like, right. like, like I don't... It's an, immediate, like, it's an immediate crisis. They're not thinking about the future. Yeah, it's it's a prejudicial, you know, yeah. Yeah. immediate thing. They're not, like, yeah, again, they're not, like, you know, let's think about the long-term, you know, problems with having Cylon children and, you know whatever it like it doesn't even get like probably a lot of them don't even know Caprica six even is pregnant yet sure right because she's in prison and like only a handful of people have like seen her outside mm-hmm. you know getting like checkups with coddle and stuff um mm-hmm. although gata has so i wonder if that rumor has spread you know fair enough fair enough i mean and i don't know i don't think i don't think it ever comes up that we've seen so far so there's probably no way to say one way but like yeah i i generally agree with you that like that is she's overestimating right the important like extremely overestimating the importance that that's playing into and mm, and this particular mutant and to any extent that that is true it's probably just a small group for which is true because like you said like there's a whole bunch of different reasons why people are doing this which mm-hmm likely don't have anything to do with the children and stuff. Right. so anyway right. so a uh, long story short they're all thrown in together and you know yeah. just are captured in the brig and you mm-hmm. know waiting for whatever to happen um all right so go back to the cic and like finally like it gets through to like ty like 
wait a minute. There's like a little too much going on here all at once. Like we've got yeah, fires, about, we've got is this communication. A forest fire down there. And like how big is this fire? It's, <laughs> like there's nothing to burn. It's uh what um oh what's what's the name of the soldier that like Anama sends to like check? Um Chaffee. Chaffee. Yeah. So yeah. um he comes like running back and like it's all you know screwed up it was sabotaged and like like that's kind of the last straw of like okay there's mm-hmm. some and that's when Gaeta realizes like the jig is up time to call in yeah. you know the marines he has standing which again like this must have been like somehow he was able to ma- manipulate you know to get like friendly people like in the water because like the sergeant at watch like that's the job right is that that they're there and ready to like handle anything in the CIC, you know, that can be, you know, Mm -hmm. that needs handling from a security perspective, but they're all on his side and they step in and like literally just like start opening fire, (laughs) like shooting people. Um, Mm -hmm. Much to Gata's chagrin. Um, Because I think he generally at this point still thinks like we can do this without a lot of bloodshed. Um, and I mean, there's some like speechifying and stuff that goes on. I don't know how much we need to go through like piece by piece, but like Adama gets up and is like, you know, I want you to understand there will be no forgiveness, no amnesty. Um, you know, you'll die, you'll die with nothing. (laughs) Like, um, and like, which of course becomes interesting later when he does like, the you know he he stops Starbuck from like shooting. Mm. Uh, is it Maldonado? Is that the I? That's the guard they capture, right? Or is it mm-hmm. one of the other ones? Or one of the other? I don't um, remember which is which. And like, I mean, maybe not exactly amnesty, but at least like, there's not like he doesn't kill him. But anyway, sure. Um. Yeah, I mean, long story short. Adama and Ty get arrested and sort of march through the... I mean, whenever you have, like, high-profile people getting marched through the corridors, like, you know it's coming that they're gonna, like, fight back and probably yeah. gonna be successful. Um, yeah, the... I really, like... I don't think there are a lot of flaws in this episode. This is pretty good, but um, the ease of their escape is a little annoying. Yeah. Like, especially when how well orchestrated everything is. Sure. It, it is a bit, like, that, like, okay, they just have two guys, and they're not, like, handcuffed or anything. It's just, like, strolling down the corridor. Like, it, you know. Maybe they had to find a reason why they could, like, escape so easily, but it just seems a bit easy to me. Mm-hmm. Um. I don't disagree. <laughs> uh, Which is like, you know, I guess it's cool to have Adama be all like tough and everything, but it like it it undercuts the impressive like how imposing he is when it's and, like it wasn't really that hard, you know, <laughs> right. like to get away from these guys. But um, sure, sure. 
but they do, and and they meet up with Lee and uh, Starbuck and uh, you know, make their way to this like, well, they, they uh, so they first. I'm trying to remember the exact order. Do they go? Do they go with Lee and Starbuck to where Baltar is, or is that after? Like, do Lee and Starbuck go there first and then meet up with them? I'm trying. I'm trying to remember exactly how. Like, I don't remember. Somehow they they all wind up getting to the same place, you know, mm-hmm. in this underbelly thing, and we'll get to Roslyn and Baltar in a minute, but um. That's basically like their story, right? Is that they get, they meet up with Lee and Starbuck and then they, you know, go to this like workstation hatch, you know, place mm-hmm. where they can get on a ship and leave. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, so switching to, I guess it must be after that because it's because Lee, Lee and Starbuck go see Roslyn. For, mm-hmm. Right, like they go to Thomas Quarters and run into Roslyn, mm-hmm. um, and then go with her. Like she's like, "Oh, I have an idea," and takes them to Baltar's harem, mm-hmm. and that's where we that that's where we see like Baltar and Roslyn talks him into like using the wireless to like address right. the fleet. And then they go, and then Lee and Starbuck find, you know, run into Adama and Ty. That's right. Um, Because, like, that, because that's when Tyrrell tells them about, like, the secret place that he fixed up um, without anybody knowing about it, apparently. Um, Which is also a little kind of like, really? Because, like, I don't know. Maybe this gets into the whole like networking thing, but like you would think like mm-hmm. if if there's a part like they they seem to be able to detect like things that are going wrong in like different parts of the ship, but like you would also think like oh this thing this like area that was formerly like depressurized and mm-hmm. you know not functioning is now functioning. Like you would think that mm-hmm. would be, but maybe that's like what we were saying about Gata before, like when he's being nice and working within the confines of like Ty's expectations about how a soldier should act, mm-hmm. he's not noticed as, you know, being subversive or whatever. So maybe it's like that kind of, it's like you only notice when like parts of a ship are like lighting up and, you know, being problematic. You don't notice when like something right. suddenly starts working correctly <laughs> because it's just well, working and- correctly or whatever. And by that time, the tables have turned, and rather than being the one who's manipulating everything, Gata's in charge of the ship now. And so now he's kind of where a dog Well, yeah, but I mean... You're trying to take care of everything, and maybe this this section comes back online and you don't notice. Well, but I, I got the sense that Tyrrell brought it back online, like, well before. Like, like not, sure. like, in the short amount of time that, like, Gata has been... In charge. Gotcha. Um, yeah, maybe. That's just my assumption, though. Like, I guess I could be wrong about that. Like, I maybe it totally, maybe. I 
it just sounded to me like it was the sort of thing that like would take weeks or months to fix up, not like mm -hmm. an mm -hmm. hour, like in the middle of a mutiny. <laughs> sure. Um, but I don't, I don't have a real rational argument for that. Just kind of that was my sense. Gotcha. Um. So yeah. Anyway. Uh. So Roslyn gets on the wireless and kind of gives gives a speech here, right? Of you know, we've come to a crossroads and of all my decisions, it was the hardest one was to like have an alliance with the Cylons. Um I mean Basically just saying like, hey, everyone, trust me again, even though I haven't been around for a while and kind of left you to your own devices, um, which let's face it, there's like a lot of gumption behind what she's mm. asking. Like, I'm begging you to reconsider and place your trust back in those who have brought you this far. Um, oh, you mean those people who literally just like an hour ago couldn't give a crap about us? like? Right. Right. Or who brought you to the blighted cinder that is Earth, you yeah. know? Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I feel like this is the speech she should have given back when they asked her to, you know, like, and, and again, like, I think at the time you totally understand why she doesn't and why she can't, but this is this is the speech that should have been given w within the first couple days after they found her mm -hmm. when she, you know, wasn't in a position to give it. Um, and even if she's saying all the things that she's would have said then it, it like the, the fact that things have spun so far out of control and she's been like derelict in her duties, like you said, undercuts what she's saying a lot that like it would have meant a lot more if she had said it up front rather than wait until somebody tried to take power away from her to then try to convince people that she really wants to lead them yeah yeah um but you know then on the other hand like there's again that there's kernels of truth in there about Zarek's fear-mongering and using that, you know, like the, the people that use fear of the other to make you make decisions that are not wise or are not moral or are not justified, like, like the comparisons you were making about, well, you know, the, the, are the Cylons really monopolizing our resources as much as our fear suggests they are? Like, if you look at the actual data, does that bear that out? And the way that, like, fear of what they might do or the fact that they're going to take over all of our resources and all of our systems and everything makes you feel like they're this big threat when they're really maybe not. So I think, like, she has a point in there, too. Sure. Even though it's it's a bit too little, too late. Um. 
Um, but that gets cut off. Like, they finally figure out how to, like, sort of squelch her message and... Um, right, which Gata has to do himself, of course, because nobody else, like, the guy who's sitting in his seat doesn't, like, know how to do his job as well as he does. So, like... I don't know. I kind of get the sense of like, oh God, this is how this is going to go. Right. Like, you know, all right, we've now supplanted all the competent people with people who like have no idea what they're doing. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, happens. I mean, and I guess we don't really know, like, how many people in the, you know, Anama and Ty specifically get arrested. Several people, or at least, it's more than one person who gets shot, right? Like, I mean, we have the, Adama's like, this boy died, you know, wearing the uniform or whatever. But, like, it's more than one person who gets shot in there, right? So, like, and we also... I guess, although I don't know for sure. We, and then we also get, like... Uh, like we don't know like if there are other people in the CIC who are sort of like maybe refusing to do their jobs or whatever and maybe also got arrested or whatnot um, right like Hoshi gets escorted out and presumably some other people do too mm -hmm. um, like again he's got Gata kind of keeping him out of the way um but also like you get the sense of like okay the the most like experienced people who are probably going to refuse orders get removed and then everybody else who's lower down on the totem pole like stays and is like forced to like do the work and everything mm -hmm. um so yeah so i mean um in the midst of all of this, you get uh, Baltar making the stupid, ballsy, I don't know, uh, move to call Gaeta. And like... I like it. This is a good, this is a good term for Baltar, I think. Sure. Although does, like... I don't know. Is, how do you, how do you read I it? I don't know. I... Part of me reads it as, like, Baltar just trying to step in and be the one to, like, fix things when, like, thinking he can fix things where other people can't. Um, sure. Which, he's, like, this isn't the first time he's sort of done that type of thing. Um, usually to mixed results at best. <laughs> um, right. Right. I can speak to... The real issue here. With right. Other people's, right. Like yeah. nobody else really knows what's going on, but I can help. Right. right. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't like, I, I think the impetus is good. Like of, of like Baltar's reasons for doing things, this definitely falls on the better end of the scale, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. I just don't like, I don't, I don't know what he thinks about how effective it would be, sure. given sort of 
what he knows about Gaeta's thoughts about him. And I mean, you get Gaeta's response, right? Uh, you know, you're an honorable man. You want to do the right things. Even your failings have been understandable, which, which we've talked about. Like we've said that same exact thing, even in this episode, like, mm -hmm. and Gaeta goes, yeah. what? Like serving in your corrupt administration, which is like, like, yeah, You're responsible like, for my failings. <laughs> like, how how do you yeah. expect Gaeta to respond other than that? Like, right. if you're Baltar, like, again, like, it's sort of Baltar's own misconceptions about himself and not hmm. necessarily realizing, you know, what it is that Gaeta actually thinks or or sort of you know, thinking himself better than he actually is. Um, Baltar, that is. Um, right. And then, like, doing the whole, like, I forgive you, you know, if you're, if you're looking for redemption, this is not the way. And, like, you know, taking on that sort of, you know, his new role as, like, Messiah or, or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I, I guess I just... Like, to me, it's just very, while it might be, like, on the good end of the spectrum, I just don't, I don't get where he thought, like, it would have been effective at all. Um, sure. But, you know, whatever. Yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of agree, but I also think the fact that he tried is maybe part of the point like even if it's not even if it doesn't work it's just the attempt that kind of is more what gets him the kind of brownie points in that moment and i think like there's it yes it's baltar thinking that he understands things and people that nobody else does but in this instance he might be right like I think the fact that like Ty and Adama haven't been understanding Gaeta's character up to this point is like, you know, and picking up on the like all of these festering problems has been like one of the reasons that this was allowed to go as far as it was. And the fact that like, like Rosalind says, like Baltar kind of does know him better than they do in a way. And, like, the fact that all the things he's saying are things that we've been saying of, like, your flaws are understandable and you're you're looking for redemption and you're doing this for good reasons, but this isn't the best way to go about it. Like, those are all true statements, I think. Um, and, like, it's not effective, but I think it pushes his buttons. Like, I think, like, the the kind of little slam he gives to the receiver at the end of the conversation kind of shows that like it gets to him so does it like completely get him to give up the the plan no but it like touches a nerve um more so than like i feel like adama's reaction of this is unforgivable and you'll die alone like that's not as effective as what Baltar, like Baltar appeals to his better nature and is trying to kind of say like, you're doing this for your own reasons, but look at what it is you're actually doing. And
and think about whether that's actually going to be redemptive in the long run, mm. which I think is a more effective tactic to take. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I like, does Baltar ever do anything without delusion and self-interest? No, but like, I do think there is some, he has a true sense of like, maybe I can say things that nobody else would say. And maybe they'll make a difference. Um, so. Yeah, maybe. Um, so yeah, anyway, in the end, uh, they're all sort of, they get to this, you know, whatever hatch or whatever um, airlock where a raptor comes, you know, there's a reunion between Roslyn and Adama and everyone kind of is like standing off to the side, sort of trying not to watch. And um Yeah, Roslyn and the rest of them go while while Adama and Ty stay behind sort of the uh you know, uh Butch Cassidy and the Sundance kid, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah to see what's uh you know what they can do to to help ensure that the you know rescue uh or escape or whatever you call it um you know gets get you know make sure they all get away sort of safely um so so there's that aspect of it but then you also have you know Gata recognizing that this is happening and giving the order for Narcho to uh, shoot down the raptor that is mm. escaping. So might, you know, ultimately may not matter if uh, Ty and Adama stayed behind or not. Mm. Um, right. Yeah. I don't, I mean, that's kind of where we leave things. It's definitely a cliffhanger. So Mm -hmm. um we'll pick it up but yeah any other sort of final thoughts um i know we're a little bit over um time here but... um no i don't think so um no it's it's a good cliffhanger we'll see where it goes in the part two mm -hmm. all right well then on to buffy i suppose uh potential yeah um yeah which is definitely has some good character revelations and developments and everything although much more focused and streamlined episode than the bsg episode like it's you know very uh dawn centric and kind of mostly focuses on her so um that's i think where we'll spend most of the time but first i thought we could go through the buffy stuff um because it's kind of interspersed throughout the episode and there's also some speechifying from her um over the various scenes with the with the potentials um and i mean i didn't plan on talking about this but like even the title of potential um working on so many different levels here right like so there's there's the literal 
question of who the potential slayers are, like who's going to be next in line. Um, and then there's the, the training and the preparation for them. And then there's the identifying of who they are. Um, but then there's the kind of the greater idea of potential of like who has a future, who is capable of more than maybe what they thought they were or capable of leading in the future or doing more impressive or powerful things. Um, and then, you know, getting down into the specific way that those things relate to, to Dawn's character and everything. Um, so of course, even though the episode's about Dawn, it's, you know, significant that like the backdrop is Buffy continuing to train the potentials in the background. Um, so yeah, I wanted to go through some of the, her specific lessons that she's continuing to have. So she starts out um, really focusing on this idea of instinct um, that like they have the potential for power, but they don't really have the power yet. Like until they're activated, they don't have the full slayer, you know, strength and speed, like she says, um, but they have the potential for it. And so it's something that can be honed. Um, and so she kind of tells them to, uh, you just have to learn to trust yourself. Don't fight on his terms. Your instincts telling you to run, run, regain the higher ground instinct, understand his, but trust yours. You were chosen for a reason. So this idea that even if they're not activated yet, there's still some latent ability within them, which is going to help them survive and sort of steer them in the right direction. Um, and then the way that, it, I don't know if it's that speech or it's later, but she's in the basement, she's giving them this talk. And then at the end, she kind of turns on her heel and goes, uh, Dawn, you better hurry up and eat something so you're not late for school. So it's like, in this whole speech to these potentials about how they need to sort of start working on their power and, you know, honing their abilities and all this stuff. Dawn's not included in that speech. Um, even though like, she's not a potential slayer, you still think like, maybe this is a lesson that could apply to everybody and anybody like this isn't a universal applicable idea about training and preparation and all this stuff but like dawn is upstairs like getting her lunch ready for school um so yeah i don't know just taking a break to see if you yeah no i mean anything to add to that i feel like i went on a little ramble there but no i mean i that's all that's all good um yeah, I think, I, I mean, there are a number of moments where I think we get sort of Dawn in the background early in the episode. Um, and then, you know, she just broadly thinking structurally about it, like, she's sort of in the background doing whatever, while, like, the clear sort of focuses on the potentials. And then, like, one one of the sort of... Um, I know it's jumping ahead a bit, but, like, one of the sort of, like, defining moments is when, like, you know, Willow does her locator spell, and um, it's actually Xander, which is interesting, considering what he says later, 
who says you're special now like like now mm-hmm. that we think you're the chosen you know one of the chosen ones you're special right. and yes yeah no i picked up on that yeah. and so but it is very interesting to kind of see her like sort of hanging around you know being supportive like like she when buffy gets the name right of the uber vamp wrong she shaka khan and and Don goes, Tora Khan? Like, is that what you're trying mm-hmm. to say? And, like, like so she's the one there with the knowledge and, like, helping out. And we've seen, like, how she's become more a part of, like, the Scooby study group and, like, you know, providing, you know, knowledge and information. But, um, yeah, just that sort of, like, she's hanging in the background. She's not really doing much. And there's definitely, like, you definitely notice, like, the difference between like like Buffy's doing things with the potential that she never did with Dawn like teaching and stuff right like it's not right. like with Dawn it's always been about being the bigger sister being the caretaker not really like I don't know whatever like this is like the Slayer uh, you know version of like taking your kid out in the backyard and teaching him how to throw a ball right like mm. But Buffy doesn't really ever do that with Dawn. It's it's always protecting and, you know, whatever. Like, when has Buffy ever taught Dawn really how to fight? Um, right. it, it, like, as whatever Dawn does, like, even thinking, like, the end of season six there, where you have Buffy and Dawn, like, fallen into a hole, uh-huh. and Dawn is fighting alongside Buffy... But it's because, like, she's like, what, you think I never watched you? It's not because Buffy ever, like, taught her, like, the way that she's teaching the potentials. It's just because Dawn picks stuff up on her own and kind of has absorbed some of what Buffy does. And so, um... Well, and this season starts with a few scenes of that, of Buffy starting to actively, like, train her. And take her on patrols and practice fighting vampires and everything. But it's only kind of occurring to me now that as soon as the potential slayers show up, that stops. Like, that was... Sure. Maybe that's what Buffy had in mind, was we can work on this and start to, like, really hone your ability and and prepare you for these inevitable dangerous situations but she becomes distracted by all these other girls that certainly sort of turn up and her attention just completely goes over to them. Mm. Um, um, which like to her credit, I know there's been times in the past where Dawn has resented Buffy's sort of spotlight and her abilities. And she's been envious of that and everything, but she isn't much recently. Like, I I don't get the sense that when, like, all these potentials are showing up and they're speculating about who a new one might be, that Dawn is necessarily coveting that too much. Like, she doesn't seem put out by the fact that, oh, it's she's not one of them. Like, and, and she's, you know... Like, she might have criticisms about the way that Buffy handles the situation, but it's not like 
she's bitter because she's not one of them. Like she seems pretty okay with it or or it doesn't even occur to her that she might be one of them. Um, yeah, I, I get the sense more of the latter that there's not really a that that Dawn doesn't even really think that she has the potential to be a potential, so to speak, right? Like that it's just not she's just not one. Like that there's no real thought of her ever doing that. Um mm-hmm. or or being that. Um I could be wrong. Like, I mean, maybe there's evidence to say otherwise, but like, I don't, I don't think it ever comes up like even before now that like before Willow's, you know, locator spell hits her or seems to hit her. It doesn't ever seem to like dawn on her um, that she might be a potential. Mm. Yeah. Um, And I mean, in fairness, like, until like a couple weeks ago, we didn't even really know about potentials, right? Like, right. Like it's kind of, I mean, we knew kind of vaguely that like Kendra had a watcher before and that like there might be, but we didn't know like how many there were or that, you know, they, you know, that what sort of network the watchers had maybe created. Um, and and possibly at this point that I mean the watchers are gone presumably or at least the bulk of them are gone, and so like the ones the coven is finding now are like ones that even weren't on the watchers list, right? So like we don't really know, like if there's some sort of like what percentage of the population is a potential? Like we don't actually have a number. Is it like five percent or is it like? point zero zero one percent like you know mm-hmm. what what is the actual number here um that we're dealing with and i mean it's probably not five percent that seems high but like yeah. you know are we talking like what are we up to like five or six now that have come to sunnydale including right. including at least two who have died um right annabelle and mm-hmm. uh Eve. Eve, thank you. Um, so, like, how many more are there? Are there, like, a few more? Are there dozens more? Hundreds more? Like, we just don't have an answer yet to that sort of question. But right. um, certainly doesn't seem to be enough that, like, it ever occurred to Dawn that, like, she could possibly be one of them until this spell right. happens. Um, mm-hmm. And then when when she does consider it like it's very scary <laughs> like yeah um um okay well wait a sorry minute, so before we get yeah. into that why don't we yeah because i want to kind of finish with with buffy and then get into dawn um so so buffy's continuing to kind of train and give these lessons um kind of like becomes a bit uh more than a little bit noticeable to the rest of them the kind of tension and history and whatever you want to call it between her and spike um who's helping her train now so he's like mm. pretending to be scary vampire well he is scary vampire but he's pretending to be 
you know, bad so that they can train against how to escape him and fight him and all that kind of thing. Um, but there's enough little moments of, you know, intimacy or hesitation or whatever it is that sort of conveys that there's more going on to, you know, the other Slayers, which I don't know how much of a big deal to make out of that. It certainly, I think, like, confuses things for them a little bit because on the one hand they're kind of being told how ruthless and soulless you know the vampires mm -hmm. are but on the other hand not only do they have one on their side but it's it's hinted that she has had this relationship with him so it's not sure. just like oh we have a good vampire ally but it's like oh like she knows what his crypt is like and it was comfy and it like right you know it kind of just implies all these things about like all right what exactly is the relationship between slayers and vampires and without going into the detail about it i feel like in a way that sends some mixed signals to the potentials like they know something's going on but she doesn't tell them what um so yeah i don't know how like far to take that in terms of is that like a potentially dangerous thing for them to get a sense of you know if they're not really if Buffy's not going to sit down and like have a talk with them about it but um but like it's definitely noticeable to them sure yeah I um, mean you know maybe being I guess it depends on how much we want to think that like is is sort of being attracted to the darkness and danger specific to Buffy or is it a Slayer thing like and if it's a Slayer thing like it's hard to believe that that's like a side effect of being activated as the Slayer like it almost seems like that might be the person you know part of the personality of like the type of person who is a potential rather than, mm. you know, specific to like the currently active slayer per se. But I mean, right. it's not like we know that many yet at this point, like we've only really met like three and then maybe like one or two in flashbacks. Right. Um, so maybe that's an outstanding question um, at this point, but yeah, yeah, no, I think as far as like the confusion goes, like you're definitely right. Like, we're being told on the one hand that, you know, vampires and demons are bad. But then on the other hand, it, it, and it's not just Spike, right? Like it's, they go to the, a demon bar where it's like, wait, you just come here to like hang out and stuff. Like, and, right, and they meet Clem. And then you met, and then you like meet Clem. Such a yeah. Adorable, like buddy and everything. Right. Yeah. Um, and right. And there's like the Beetlejuice moment, but it's just like, right. You know, uh, just kind of offhand, like it's there's no like real feeling of like it, it's like a horror movie, right? Like it might be scary and gross, but like it's not necessarily threatening per se, right? Um, right. yeah, right. Well, and it, it's not really related to that, but um, Vi's line kind of jumps out about uh. 
you know, okay, like, what did you learn? Okay, you don't play by the rules and I learned a valuable lesson of some sort. Like, there's this sense of like, we're supposed to take away some significance from these lessons that Buffy's giving, but what what is it? What are the lessons? Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's the, the speechifying that Buffy does, but there's other things that they're learning too that aren't necessarily coming from the pontifications that she sort of declares it's more about just things that they're going to pick up from her behavior, her relationships with the demons and how she go about her job and all this sort of thing. Um, And I also think um, there's some of that even in her like conversation with Amanda at the beginning, right? Like, Mm. you know, the, the, why, why do we like, why are we what like are mean like to the people who like us, us or, you know, yeah. vice versa. Yeah. And, and yeah, you know, there is that, um, you know, are people picking on me because they think I'm weird, you know, or like, am I actually weird or is it that they like me? And you know, what, right. what does this all sort of mean? Um, right. And Buffy's response being you're liking the bad boys is very relatable and human and I understand it and it's totally natural on the one hand but on the other hand I don't condone it don't do it you know it's it's bad and dangerous and you shouldn't indulge that and so again with the like mixed signals of um you know this is totally natural and yet you need to not go there and not do things like that Mm -hmm. um yeah which is contradictory to say the least, um, which it is for Buffy too. I mean, that's her whole conflict with Spike and with the whole thing is sure. is the war between what feelings she has naturally versus what her better judgment is telling her about those things. Definitely. Um, yeah, and so just to kind of finish that out, they take them to kind of some of those uh usual haunts that they'll need to know like you said they tour the bar and this is where you come for your information and how you kind of handle yourself in here and everything um they go to some crypts and churches and places that you know demony things are likely to hang out um and then ends with a kind of the next step in Buffy's training regime which is kind of surprising them with like you know some action so she's done a lot of demonstrating but now after like they've started to sort of learn what they're supposed to do she you know creates a situation in which they can give it a go themselves um you know and a controlled environment you know I don't think I think she thinks she would stop anything from happening before it got too bad. There's a group of them, so it's not a one-on-one situation. They're able to sort of team up and help each other. Um, but still, like, it's they're unprepared. She springs it on them. And so there is a sense of throwing them into the deep end and sort of mm-hmm. giving them a little bit of a fright to see how they'll handle themselves. Yeah. Um, so in the meantime, they're aware that there's another potential 
and that she's nearby. Um, Buffy wants to go look for her, but the others kind of convince her that they can take care of it and she should keep training. So she's out, you know, with, with her potentials. Um, when Willow does her locating spell, um, and, you know, little plot engineering of, okay, it, 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 it involves a hard boiled egg. So it smells really bad. So they have to open the door. So Dawn goes to the door. And so she's sort of over away from the group when, you know, this ball of light flies up and straight at her and slams into the door and everything. Um, so it looks as though Dawn is the uh, potential. Yeah. Um, we have met Amanda before. Right. <clears throat> we met her before this episode, and I think we meet her even before the whole potential thing comes up here. Like, she's in the episode going to Buffy for, um, for guidance. And so I have to confess, I kind of got it. As soon as, like, I felt like, okay, there's going to be some some fake out here um sure i did i didn't when we first met her as one of the kind of students several episodes ago i remember now that it was all about her like beating up her bullies which seems like a dead giveaway now yeah. um i don't think that it occurred to me then at the time that oh what if she's a slayer um but i think the fact that we had met her and that we get a little reminder of her earlier in this episode you know kind of clued me in a little earlier um sure which maybe it does for a lot of people too um yeah so you know and and you're just waiting for the the poor the rug to get pulled out on poor dawn that like this seems like such a revelation that it's like all right there's another there's another twist to be had there right um which is okay. I mean, I don't know that that's necessarily like a failing of the episode or anything. Yeah, I mean, well, and even just from like, if you're thinking about it from like a plot perspective, like what is even the point of having Amanda? Like why, why even have Buffy like at the school talking to a student at all? You know, like right, it, exactly. it literally has no bearing on any other part of uh you know, the, the episode or anything. Um, so, uh, two, two things. So just sort of, a from a production, uh, perspective, um, the, the last time we saw Amanda was in the episode help in season four or, uh, sorry, episode four, this, this season, uh, which is the episode with Cassie. Um, so mm -hmm. it's like during that montage of, yeah, mm -hmm. like when a bunch of students are, coming in and yeah and like and she's notable because it's like oh i beat up the boys who were picking on me right so like right. which now it's like oh well if she's a potential of course she did <laughs> like mm -hmm. um you could see a potential handling it like that um from a production perspective uh, that episode uh so that episode and this one were both written by rebecca Rand kirchner so there's a, a writer's you know, uh, uh, connection there. Um, mm -hmm. the actress, uh, who plays Amanda, uh, 
Sarah Ho Hagen is um, actually someone who Rebecca Rand Kirshner had worked with previously. Um, because I think we had mentioned um, in that episode that uh, Sarah Hagen is uh, a recurring character in the show Freaks and Geeks, um, mm -hmm. which Rebecca Kirshner had written for before this. Um, mm -hmm. And so I don't, I don't know how much uh, overlap there was as as a writer with Sarah Hagen's character in that show, but um, they knew each other from there. So it was kind of it's kind of one of those things where it's like, oh, here's an actress I've worked with before and a character I've written. Right. You know, I mean, very, very basically in the help episode, but you know, at least mm -hmm. you know someone who. So I don't think, from what I understand when the episode help was written like i don't think there was an intention to bring amanda back and then oh, and then you know how whatever like eight or whatever episodes later here where we are now it's like oh okay well you know it's an episode focusing on don and and we want to have someone you know we want to have that fake out who should that be and so i think as a writer yeah. you know it was like oh well let's use this character that we kind of had before and also kind of happens right. to work out like talking about beating up people. So like, right. you know, personality right. that seems wise. like such a, a deliberate plan. Yeah. You know? Um, um, so, yeah, that's funny. Uh, so yeah, I mean, to your point at that point, like we knew that there were like young women all around the world sort of being chased and killed. We didn't know what that was all about. I think in the first couple mm -hmm. less, uh, lesson, the first couple episodes of the year, of the season like we right we get so you're not necessarily looking for things but yeah. but there's no reason to like connect amanda right. to that at this point right and you know at that point um yeah so yeah just wanted to kind of bring that up from a production perspective but uh right, right you know as far as the character goes yeah i don't i don't think she was even really supposed to be brought back again and it was just kind of like oh well this is a good she's a good character to bring back since we kind of need someone at this point. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so yeah, let's talk through Dawn's sort of little arc here. Um, because as you started to say earlier, her first reaction is, is fearful, right? Like, it's not an immediate, um, I don't think it ever really becomes a sense of invincibility or triumph or, like, there's never really a moment when it's like, ah, I am the, I am the chosen one. I'm like, it, it's all kind of, she grows in her sense of purpose and her sense of confidence, but it never really fully goes to that place of feeling like she's you know it um but I mean it definitely starts out like you know very much more in denial and you know the weight of the whole thing of like did you say potential sailors because I do like the water um <laughs> like just even looking for uh, the Some way kind she of out, is really yeah. funny too um yeah like any any other explanation um, and, you know, Anya's kind of 
insensitive but truthful comments about her uh her short brutal lifespan that she's sure to have you know uh one minute you're this klutzy teenager with fake memories and a history of kleptomania and then suddenly you're a hero a hero with a much abbreviated lifespan so along with being the chosen one and all this stuff comes all of the danger and the pressure and the responsibility that comes with that and the fact that that means your life will probably be cut short um and if she even assumes the mantle of the slayer that means that buffy's life will be cut short potentially although maybe not because of faith but that's weird we don't have to get into that again um anyway it it means bad things for her and for you know her loved ones and everything um so there's a sense of wanting it as much as she's felt like the less special sister in the past pretty much immediately it's like she's realizing that this isn't something that not that she doesn't want it but it's not as simple as just wishing that she could do what Buffy does because to do that comes with all this other baggage. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, she kind of goes upstairs to dwell on this, think about it, like try to come to grips with it. And of course can hear everybody else arguing about it and about her. Sure. Um, and kind of immediately, starting to um not take the decisions and the responsibilities out of her hands but even just the fact that they're arguing about what she should do and how she should feel and you know what the next move should be and all these things kind of asserts their adulthood over hers you know that they're she's very much like not in charge even though it, it relates to her own fate um, yeah, and like even Xander, who's kind of trying to be maybe one of the more understanding ones and everything is kind of saying like, well, all we know is everything just changed, but like everything just changed. Like even from his point of view, you can't deny the fact that nothing is the same now. Mm -hmm. um, even as he's kind of saying, okay, she needs time, give her a break, you know, she's just thinking about it and all this kind of thing. Um, and then, so, right, so, like, she's up there hearing all this, and, of course, I mean, we, you know, we talked about she's the same age or a little bit older than Buffy when Buffy was first called to be, a, excuse me, chosen to be a slayer, and, like, of course, she pulls a Buffy move and, like, climbs out the window, <laughs> hmm, right? Yeah. Like, that's mm -hmm. Buffy at this age doing the same exact thing. Um, right. And it's almost like, okay, if I'm a potential, like, I should be proving myself like the other potentials. I mean, we don't get her saying that specifically, but that's kind of the, the gist of her going out is that, you know, it needs to, you know, she needs to go figure out where she is in this world of being a potential. Um, 
Right. Which, even though, like I said, she never really, um, you know, I mean, I, I don't think it, it, she doesn't have, she's not in this knowledge long enough for it to really go all the way into thinking of herself as the chosen one. But, so even though it doesn't go that far, you still get the thing of, you know, she meets Amanda, they bump into each other. Of course, they're both walking around alone at night, which is, like, kind of weird, but they don't really, like, ask each other, like, what's really going on. Um, mm-hmm. Until she until she realizes Amanda got uh, attacked by vampires. And so, yeah, her reaction is rather than go find Buffy or go find the others, it's it's... I'll handle this one, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, and it's like, even though she hasn't been the target of them, she's hearing all these lessons that Buffy's giving the others, you know, or at least snatches of them about sure. trust your instincts, rely on yourself. You have the potential, you can do it. Like all this stuff is sort of in the air around her as to what, a how a potential slayer is supposed to act. Sure. Well, and I mean, of any of the potentials, she's more, you know, uh, trained in some ways just by virtue mm-hmm. of having been around the last however many, you know, well, literally the last few years, but, you know, yeah, uh, having been around for even longer in sort of... In her own mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, altered reality time. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, like, like she knows all the theory and has done some of the fight training and all of that. So, you know, the problem is, of course, that we know and, or at least that we learn later, is that she's not actually a potential. So, like, does having well, all of and, that make yeah. up for, like, the sort of natural... uh ability and instinct that Buffy's like talking about that the potentials have which so taking a step back does Buffy actually know that potentials have any of that like how much does Buffy actually know about what a potential slayer has because like I don't know because I guess I mean we know that like Kendra trained right so you can maybe extrapolate from that that there's some ability that can be trained and honed but um you know but like yeah that's a good that's a good question Buffy doesn't before Buffy was chosen she didn't have a watcher and wasn't trained and like did she have instinct and stuff or was like how much of that comes along with becoming the chosen one and i'm not saying there isn't any i'm just saying like at this point like is what buffy is talking about is it more she's just kind of extrapolating of like as the slayer i have this and so like potentials must also have it or or mm-hmm. is there truth to what she's actually saying and yeah. i mean we don't we don't necessarily know it could just be like she's trying to instill confidence in them and and so she's saying things that will do that or at least that she thinks will do that and whether or not it's actually true is kind of beside the point (laughs) well and so to go back to the title like how literally do we take the word potential like does potential just mean 
you are in line and might become this thing someday, so you better start training and thinking about it now? Or does potential mean in some sort of magical significance, you have this latent ability that might not be fully realized, but it's something that is tangible inside you that you can access and mm. and sharpen and everything. And yeah. Well, and that's sort of... I've been taking it more as the latter, but only because that's what Buffy's kind of implying. So how much are we supposed to believe her, take her word on that? Or if she believes it, where is she getting that information? Um, yeah. Well, and that's kind of what Anya says when everyone thinks that Dawn is chosen, right? Is if she gets to be the slayer, then her life is short and brutal. And if she doesn't, then it smells of unfulfilled potential. Like, potential isn't necessarily a good thing if it never becomes more than that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, just because you have potential doesn't mean you capitalize on it or maximize it in any kind of way. Um, well, an unfulfilled potential can be more painful than never having sure. had. It, like, especially realizing the, the, the goal that, that, that you, you have that potential. Try for and fail. It like hurts worse in a way right. than knowing. Oh, I could never have done that in the first place. Sure. Um. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, Don does um pretty well for herself in this episode. I mean. Other than the kind of wanting to prove herself and so they go get themselves in more danger than they needed to be in the first place. There's that whole thing of like... Right. Other yeah. other than that. Other than the like locking yourselves in the school at night with bringers and vampires, which is not the smartest. Um, when they do actually get atta attacked inevitably... Um, I mean, she's been in closer quarters with vampires before. Like a car. This is true. Sure. Right. Well, and so, yeah, I think it's significant that Buffy narrates her lesson over Dawn fighting that, like, whether Dawn has any sort of ability or talent at all, she at least has learned some of the things that Buffy's talking about, about how to use your surroundings, that she's grabbing what is near to hand and and thinking on her feet and being you know quick and clever and all these things um so again whether it has magical literal significance or not she has potential inside her to be a savvy fighter mm. um right like you know the potential as a slayer isn't the only type of potential that exists Sure. Like there's, which I mean, is kind of maybe Xander's point later when we get to that. But yeah, like yeah, yeah, like we talk about potentials as like potential slayer, but there's other types of potential like out there, and yeah, like you can still be, as we've seen a number of people in these shows, like you can be a good fighter and hone your skills and you know, improve in how you, you know, your abilities, whatever they are, you know, regardless of whether you're the chosen one or not. Um, mm -hmm. 
So yeah. Um. Um. Yeah. So. And the other thing I was thinking too was, even if you kind of figure out earlier, then is revealed that it's Amanda and not Dawn. That's that's the potential. Um, it kind of works for the tension because that kind of hangs over all the stuff that's happening in school. Like you kind of, if in some ways it's scarier. Like if you know Dawn isn't the one, the fact that she's like, I got this and I'm leading us like straight into like the nest um, in some ways makes it a little bit, even a little bit, more dangerous and scarier and everything. So I, I kind of like the way it kind of works either way. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, so we do find out, you know, the bringers sort of break in that, you know, they, so they get saved from the vampire, but then here come the bringers um, and go straight for Amanda, obviously. Right. Um, <laughs> you know, and so, yeah, there's that momentary disappointment, you know, like that moment of, no, you don't want her. You want me. Like <laughs> yeah. that kind of wistful, like, oh, but like, wait a minute. Ooh, right. You know. Feel, filled with realization that yeah. like, oh, wait, no, actually, they do know who they want. It's been her all along. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, you know, as Xander kind of points out later, it's that's that's only momentary. Mm -hmm. It's a moment of self-pity. And then again to Dawn's credit like immediately she switches over back into like attack mode of you know setting fire to them and and helping escape so she doesn't just like realize she's not the slayer and then suddenly like lose all her fighting ability like she's she keeps doing what she right. needs to do gets them out of there and then hands the sort of mantle over to Amanda and kind of, you know, lets her know you're the one and this is your kind of opportunity. I mean, it's a, a lot of pressure, I think. Like, maybe she's handing it over a little too quickly to just sort of throw a spear at somebody and say, like, hey, you're like this amazing warrior. Um, <laughs> I mean, it works out, but it's like, you kind of think, like, well, maybe it's, it's not quite that easy, Dawn. Like, it may be... Like, you still need to train. Like, that's the whole point of this thing, is that... Sure. You know, it doesn't just completely come to you naturally, although with Amanda, it pretty much largely does, at least enough to take care of the bringers, that she has enough of the instinct and the natural ability to defend herself and everything. Um. But yeah, like... Apart from that one moment, Dawn doesn't really indulge in her own disappointment too much. She, she sort of pretty much right away mm -hmm. lets it go and, you know, switches over back into her kind of supportive right. role. Yeah. 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 No, and yeah, I, so, like, I don't, yeah. I mean, I don't know that we need to talk about the fight itself specifically but that's i mean that sure. would be the focus i think i mean xander has a longer speech obviously but but that part near the end of where 
one recognizing that that's what happens right you know the minute you found out you weren't special you handed the crown to amanda without a moment's pause mm-hmm. maybe a slight moment's pause <laughs> um, like he wasn't there for the, right, the right. realization uh, but you know it really was like a moment you know like it, oh yeah no no i just i was saying that yeah, humorously yeah. like i i agree like i don't yeah. I'm, i wasn't trying to take anything away from it there um yeah but that that idea of that like they'll never know how tough it is to be the one who isn't chosen. And like, even recognizing, like, like we were saying before with like Buffy, just kind of like, like the way she approaches Dawn is a hundred percent different than the way she approaches all of the other potentials. It's, did you get your homework done? And are you ready for school? And did you pack your lunch and stuff, you know, versus like, spending time with the potentials and then you know and like focusing on them because they're the ones with the gift and you know all of that and you know it is true like i mean of all the scoobies xander is the only one who doesn't have any kind of power or and has never had any kind of real power right mm-hmm. he's always been just kind of to the side and doing his thing sometimes better than others and maybe he's found his niche at this point but like it wasn't always that way and just kind of i mean i i like this is you know the capstone to the argument of why dawn isn't just a whiny brat right like this is you know the the sort of fulfillment and recognition and i mean not to say that like she doesn't do anything else the rest of the series. She, of course, does. But, like, this to me is just that very, you know, I almost said, like, reformation of Don's character or whatever. Like, but it's it's not really. It's it's the fulfillment. The fulfillment of her potential. What is the potential? It's to be someone who is that supportive and knowing and watching and seeing everything, even when nobody else recognizes what's going on. Um, You know, I see more than anyone realizes because nobody's watching, you know, is what Xander says to her. And, you know, maybe, maybe it feels like being relegated to that role isn't fun or exciting or whatever, but, you know, like Xander says, like nobody else is going to realize how hard it is to be close to the spotlight, but never the one in it. And mm. in some ways that might be harder than it is to be the Slayer, but it's, it's no less vital. And that goes mm. way back to the whole idea of a Slayer with family and friends. Like, why is Buffy alive now? Like, it's because she has people who are in those supporting roles that other Slayers didn't have. And mm-hmm. so, ultimately, that's kind of what the potential is there. Like, as a team, as someone who's providing that support, like, there's it's more than just, you know, about being the one who kills all the vampires. Like, you need other people doing other things as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get to the, to the tearjerker line of, you're not special, you're extraordinary. Um, yeah sorry i feel like i took took away kind of the climactic speech there but 
I no, you know, definitely. Yeah, I mean, any any other thoughts there, sort of about Xander and you know his sort of no, comments. no. I think that's like Xander has his flaws, and we've you know talked about some of them and everything. But like, this is definitely a a good speech for him and a really key moment for a more sensitive side of his character, you know, um, you know, as somebody who understands, like, it's that thing of like, when you have had, um, hardships yourself, instead of making that, making you bitter, it can make you more understanding and empathetic for other people. You know, there's kind of two ways you can go with that. And I think, like, at least in this instance with Xander, like, that identification of he understands how Dawn can feel. And so he can, as someone who's a little older and has been struggling with those things for even longer than she has, he can articulate it back to her, you know, of how this, you know, appears from the outside of from what he can see, even though Buffy might not notice it and Dawn might not realize the way that that reflects, you know, the way that this is a good thing about her, um, Xander is able to kind of identify and show that to her. Um, you know, and like, if, you know, yes, Buffy makes choices and has agency but she's also special largely because she was chosen and has a destiny and i think that's the kind of thing he's pointing out about the people who don't have that is that you're not just relying on your sort of chosen one status for what makes you special you're having to earn it mm. all the time and in some ways that makes it a little more earned obviously and more special in a way um that it's it's less about what abilities you were sort of given and what abilities you were born with um and more about the choices she's making and the effort that she's putting in to being there for the team and doing the right thing and you know all of the good that she's doing is that little bit harder because it kind of doesn't come naturally mm. so which is of course that classic thing of probably Xander couldn't have ever explained that to himself. But when you see it in somebody else, it's like clarifying, you know, like it's easier for Xander and Dawn to kind of maybe feel more insecure about themselves. But if they're looking at each other, they can then realize a little more clearly, oh, the virtues of being in this position and Sure. How it can actually be a good thing, even though it's painful to be the one who sort of feels left out of the spotlight and everything. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of at the end there. Like, we, we've still got um Giles off 
apparently picking up yet another potential. Um, mm-hmm. We've got the the potentials that are there now have actually had an experience of going out and killing sort of their first vampires. And mm-hmm. uh, we've got... Yeah, and they're very jazzed about that. We've got the support team now sort of in, in their places and on board and doing what they need to do. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, um, now we'll go off and watch Angel for a couple of weeks. <laughs> um, yeah. Of course. Cool. All right. See you then. <laughs>